Help me to be attentive, help me to listen up, not to be a distraction. And Lord, uh, help me as I try to preach this word. Lord, if there's something that needs to be said tonight that is not in my notes, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move on within me and that, uh, and that I would just step out of the way. Lord, please bless this time. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Now, keep your finger there in Genesis chapter number 18, because that's um, the text for tonight. But go with me real quickly to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 21. We read there uh, the entire chapter, chapter 18 of Genesis, but go with me to Leviticus. If you're in Genesis, you just want to go to the right, um, Exodus, and then Leviticus chapter number 21. I want you to look at one verse, verse 13. Leviticus 20. I'm sorry, I said Leviticus 21, I meant Leviticus chapter 2, I apologize for that. Leviticus chapter number 2, and look at verse 13. Leviticus chapter number 2, and verse 13. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter number 2, and verse 13, it says, And every oblation of thy meat offerings shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering, with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Now, what I want you to see there is that in, in Leviticus, when God is ordering the Levites and the priests and the children of Israel, and He's asking them to bring uh, uh, an offering, He says, "I want." He says, "Thou shalt season with salt." He said, "Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking." He said, "He said there's a covenant." If you see there, he says, the, the, the salt of the covenant of thy God. Do you see that? So he says, there's a covenant of salt. And he said, every time you bring an offering, every time you offer me something, he said, I want you to season it with salt. And neither, he, says, shalt thou, he says, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offerings. And he says, with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. Now God made a real big deal about this. He said, when you bring an offering, I want you to put salt. He said, I don't want it to be uh, lacking any salt. He said, in fact, with all the offerings, I want you to just offer salt. And he made a big deal about it. And he said, there's a covenant of, there's the salt of thy covenant of thy God. Now go with me to Numbers, chapter number 18. You're there in Leviticus, the very next book. Next to that is the book of Numbers. And look at Numbers, chapter number 18. Numbers 18 and verse 19. Numbers 18 and verse 19. I want to talk to you about this covenant of salt. The Bible uses this phrase, a covenant of salt. A covenant of salt. And we saw there in Leviticus 2.13, God referred to uh, you know, the salt of the covenant of thy God. And he was saying, I don't want it lacking. He said, I want you to offer everything you offer me needs to have salt with it. Now go to Numbers 18.19. And I want to show you what this covenant of salt has to do with. If you look at Numbers 18.19, the Bible says this. All. That means everything. He says, all the heave offerings of the, of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord, have I given thee, and thy sons and thy daughters with thee, by a statue forever. Now make note of this word, forever. He said, by a statue forever. He says, it is a covenant of salt forever. That's what we're talking about tonight. A covenant of salt. He said, it's a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and thy seed with thee. So he said, hey, this covenant of salt, he said, here's a key word when it comes to the covenant of salt. He says, forever. Now go with me to Second Chronicles chapter number 13. You just keep going to the right of your Bible if you're there in, uh, in Numbers. And you'll find Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And you'll 
gets to Second Chronicles, not after Judges, there's a few books, there's Ruth, there's First Second Samuel, and then First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Look at Second Chronicles chapter number 13. Second Chronicles chapter number 13, look at verse 5. This is all by way of introduction, I just want you to see something. Second Chronicles 13.5, the Bible says this. Second Chronicles 13.5, the Bible says, Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to David, and look at what it says, forever, even to him and to his sons, and look at the last phrase of that verse, it says, by a covenant of Saul. He's saying, don't you know? He's asking a question. He said, don't you know that God gave the kingdom to Israel? And he says, forever. And he said, because it's forever, I made it a covenant of salt. Now go with me to Matthew chapter number 5 in the New Testament. And then we'll get back to Genesis. Matthew chapter number 5 in the New Testament. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 5. And while you turn there, let me explain something to you. In the Bible times, salt represented preservation. It, it, you know, at that time, before, before we had the technology that we do now, like a refrigerator or something like that, people would use salt in order to uh, preserve their food. They would use salt to preserve meat in order to keep it from going bad, you know. They were able to keep it longer by using salt. And when God uses uh, the term salt here in the Bible, He's using it in regards to a preservation, in regards to keeping something. And that's why when He says, I made a covenant of salt, He uses these words, He says, forever. He says, I I established David as a king of Israel and his household as the kingdom of Israel forever. He said, "I, I made a covenant of salt with him. Because that salt represents a preservation. It represents the fact that something's going to be preserved, the fact that something's going to uh, to not last, the, part, the, the fact that something's going to last, okay? Now, you're there in Matthew chapter number 5, look at verse 13. Matthew 5, 13, these are words that Jesus spake. Jesus said these words, if you have a red letter edition, these words would be in red, because uh, Jesus actually spoke these words out of his mouth, and he said this, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter number 18 and we'll get into this tonight. You say, what, what is all that about? Well, here's what you got to understand. The Bible says that salt, you know, God uses salt as a representation of, of, of preserving something, of keeping something, of not allowing something to go out. And, and He says, when I made a covenant of salt, He said, I, I use that terminology because salt means I'm going to keep you, David, as the king of Israel. I'm going to keep David and his family as a king. He said, I made a covenant of salt with him. But then in Matthew, Jesus looked at His disciples and He looked at His Christians and He said, Ye are the salt of the earth. So, He says, we're the salt of the earth, and the salt of the earth is used in order to preserve, a covenant of salt is used to preserve them. He said, what does that have to do with anything? Go back to Genesis 18, look at verse 22. Genesis chapter number 18 and verse 22. The Bible says that God came to Abraham and started talking to him about destroying these wicked cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham begins a very interesting conversation, I think, with God. And if you look at verse 22, the Bible says this, And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham got to do a lot of crazy things, a lot of you know, interesting things that other, you know, no other man spoke to God the way Abraham is speaking to God right now. He's, uh, he, he's, he's almost bargaining with God. He, he, he's like having a contract, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he, it's almost like he's buying or selling something. He's just, he, he's just, uh, just conversating with God in regards to this. And look at verse 23, the Bible says, And Abraham drew near and said, 
Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now that word righteous is a, is a word that is reserved for a saved individual. The only people on this earth who are righteous are those who are saved. We're righteous because we've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he said, are you going to destroy the righteous? Are you going to destroy the saved? Are you going to destroy the Christian with the wicked? Now, according to Jesus Christ in Matthew 5.13, what is the righteous to this world? What is the disciples to this world. What are Christians to this world? Salt. And he said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous? Or he said, Wilt thou also destroy the salt with the wicked? Peradventure there be 50 salt, for lack of better words. Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? And be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. And that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, he's saying, God, why would he do this? Look at at verse 26. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Notice what what he's saying. God is coming down to destroy an entire city. Now, we don't know how big this city was. We don't know how many people there were. But we can imagine it was a a good, you know, two good-sized cities. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it it was probably a a big place with a lot of people living there. And God says, okay, Abraham, if I can find 50 saved people, People, if I can find 50 righteous people, he said, I will spare the whole, all of them, for their sakes. But here's the problem, look at verse 27. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Now, I like how Abraham words it, because he makes it sound not so bad. He says, well, what if there was five lacking of those righteous, of those 50? Will thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? He said, just because there was five lacking, are you going to destroy the whole city? And he said, the Lord, and he puts it in, in plain terms. It makes it sound a little bit, you know, a little worse. He said, if I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty saints. And he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it. If I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. But then look at what God does in verse 33. And the Lord went his way. He said, We're done with this conversation. He said, Abraham, find ten. If you can find ten, I won't destroy it. But he said, I'm not going any less than that. If there's not at least ten righteous people on that, in, in those cities, I'm going to destroy it. And he says, and the Lord went with away as soon as he had left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. You know what? The, the, the conversation, because Abraham said, if I can find 50, will you destroy it? God said, I won't destroy it. What if there's lacking five of those 50? If there's 45, I won't destroy it. What if I can only find 30, God? If there's 30, I won't destroy it. Well, what if I can only come up with 20? What if I can only come up with 10? And God says, that, that's it. You got, you got to the lucky number. He said, if you can find ten, I'll spare the entire city. He said, I will spare the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah, both of those great cities, if you can find ten salt, ten righteous people. But at the end of that, he says, no more, Abraham, we're done with this conversation. It's ten or nothing. He said, if you can't find at least ten, I'm destroying it. And as the story goes, we understand that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent two angels in to bring those few righteous people that were there, and God destroyed it. Now here's the thing. 
The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was directly based on the number of Christians that were in the city. The Bible says that ye are the salt of the earth. The Bible says that we are the salt of the earth. And God, for whatever reason, has decided, and, and, and He pictures it here in Sodom and Gomorrah, He looks at a wicked city, and He says, as soon as this city falls below a certain number of the covenant of salt that I've made with that city, as soon as there's only a certain number of Christians, as long as there's not that much salt in that city, He said, I'm, I'm going to destroy Now for Sodom and Gomorrah, that number was ten. He said, if I can find ten righteous, if I can find ten salt in that city, I won't destroy it. But he couldn't even find ten. See, there was not enough salt in Sodom and Gomorrah for God to preserve it. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? There was not enough salt in Sodom and Gomorrah because God will honor and God will make a covenant of salt. But who's the salt? We're the salt. Who's the salt? A believer in Jesus Christ. A saved individual. And God will make a covenant with a nation. God will make a covenant with America tonight. And God will say, hey, I'll bless America. I'll preserve America. I will keep destruction from coming on the shores of America. But he says, as soon as you hit that number, as soon as you hit that, for Simon and Gomorrah, it was ten. For America, I don't know what it is. But there is a number, there is a contract, there is a covenant of salt. And God says, as soon as that number is breached, as soon as that salt is no longer there, he said, all, all, all bets are off. All deals are off. He said, I will destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if you can't find ten. Now you got to understand this. What brings God's judgment versus what allows God's judgment? What brings God's judgment versus what allows God's judgment? Now look at verse uh, number 20 in Genesis 18. Genesis chapter number 18 and verse 20. What brought God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, if you look at verse 20, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Because... So here's the reason why I'm going to destroy it. He says, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to that cry of it, which has come unto me. If And if not, I will know. So God says, hey, the reason I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah is because their sin is so great. Because the wickedness is so great. He said, because I've heard their cry. Now, if you're familiar with it, what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that caused the destruction? The sin of sodomy. The sin of homosexuality. He said, I don't really know what you... I'm talking about the faggots that were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why God came to Sodom and He came to Gomorrah because a bunch of queers were living there and He said, I'm tired of their wickedness. He said, I'm tired of hearing of the cries of those people. He said, I'm going to destroy it. Now, the judgment of God came on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. But why was the judgment allowed? Because of the lack of righteous. You see what I'm saying? See, there's a difference between what brings the judgment of God and what allows the judgment of God. Now, you know, you're not, you're, you're not at, you know, Calvary Chapel tonight. You know, you're not at Joel Osteen's church where I'm going to stand up here and say, oh, we got to love the queers and, and we just got to win them to Christ and we just got to reach out to them. Look, God destroyed two entire cities because of that sin. And God uses the most... Uh, Harsh language and, and, and the harshest punishment for the punishment of Sodom. Let me show you. Just so you understand where we're coming from, go with me to Leviticus chapter number 20. We're going to be looking at a lot of passages. So you've got to move quickly so we can uh, be done with enough time. But look at Leviticus chapter number 20 and look at verse 13. Leviticus 20, 13. Leviticus chapter number 20 and verse 13. The Bible says this. If a man also lie with mankind 
as he lies with a woman. So understand what that's saying without getting into too much detail. He says, if a man lies with another man, the same way that he would lie with a woman, he says, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. According to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, what did God say the punishment of a homosexual should be for that wicked act of sodomy? Put to death. God says it's a death penalty. Now look, let me just make this clear, because these, internets go, these sermons go online and I don't need somebody trying to sue me. I'm not advocating the death of a faggot. Okay? I'm, not t- I'm not saying let's round up a posse and let's go get them together. And I'm not saying we should kill them, because obviously we live in the United States of America and we've got laws and we need to abide by those laws. But I'm just telling you, if we lived under God's perfect government, God would put them to death. Because that's what He said. He said, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 23. You're there in Leviticus. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 23 and look at verse 16. Deuteronomy 23, 16. Deuteronomy 23, 16. The Bible says this, in regards to that wicked sin. Deuteronomy 23, 16. It says... He shall dwell with thee, even among you, and in that place which he shall choose in one of thy gates, where it liketh him best, thou shalt not oppress him. There shall be no whore of the daughters of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel. So God says, hey, I don't want any sodomites with, in, in my nation of Israel. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter number 14. Go with me to 1 Kings 14, look at verse 24. 1 Kings 14.24. Let me show you how the children of God, the children of Israel, dealt with this sin. 1 Kings 14.24, the Bible says this, And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations, which the Lord cast out before all the children of Israel. So the Bible says, when the sodomites were in the land, what were they doing? Abomination, is what the Bible says. According to all the uh, nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Look at, verse, look at 1 Kings uh, chapter 15 and verse 12. 1 Kings chapter number 15 and verse 12. 1 Kings 15, 12. The Bible says, And he took away the Sodomites out of the land, and removed all the idols that his father had made. He's talking about a king there. And it says that he took away the Sodomites out of the land. Now when he says he took away the Sodomites out of the land, he's not saying he like moved them. Okay, He's saying he got rid of them. He's saying he put them to death. He's saying he, he went to Leviticus chapter number 20 verse 13. He said, okay, this will show you put to death. And he put them to death. Look at uh, 1 Kings chapter number 22 and verse 46. 1 Kings chapter number 22 and verse 46. Look, at, I'm just showing you, how, how did they deal with, with the Sodomites? With the faggots back in uh, the Bible times. 1 Kings 22 46, the Bible says, And the remnant of the Sodomites, which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. Again, a reference to their death. He took him out of the land. He took him out. Okay, he didn't move them, you know, over. Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter number 23 and verse 7. 2 Kings chapter number 23 and verse 7. 2 Kings 23, 7, the Bible says this. And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the grove. So he says there was a king there and he saw that these queers had houses near the house of the Lord and he just broke them down. He just destroyed them. He showed no respect to them. He didn't go out and try to win them to Christ. He didn't go out and try to, you know, love them and try to reform them and try to counsel them or try to just accept them. He, he broke down their houses. They put them to death. Leviticus uh, 20, 20, 13 says, they shall surely be put to death. And let me tell you something. At Barry Baptist 
scriptures like we were preaching this morning about a lying spirit. We are talking about this morning about those 400 prophets in Micaiah, the prophet there. And those prophets were prophesying a lie. And the Bible says that God sent down a lying spirit to lie to Ahab to get him to destruct him. But Micaiah spoke the words of the Lord. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of preachers in America that have been given a lying spirit. And they're going to stand up and say, we got to love the queers. And, we, and they, they were born that way. He said, I'm just going to rain fire from heaven and I'm just going to destroy them. Because you say, well, what's so bad about the queers? Here's what's so bad about the queers. you got to understand. Because see, television and the media makes it sound like the faggot is just the, the you know, party guy. He's just a funny guy. He's the funny one. He's flamboyant. You know, people say, oh, at my work we've got this homosexual. He's so nice. He's just a sweetheart. He likes to hang out with all the girls, you know. And, and they try to make it sound like that. But here's what you got to understand, okay? Every year, the population of the queers grows. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, here's what you got to understand. They don't reproduce, okay? My wife and I reproduce. We have children. Homosexuals don't reproduce. So how do they grow? Here's how they do it. They recruit. Here's how they do it. They molest. Here's how they do it. They rape. Here's how they do it. They, 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 uh, they take children and they molest them and they mess up their heads and they mess up their minds and they, and they do things to them. And then those kids grow up to be a reprobate because they reject God because of what's happened to them. And then they're just some quit. And you say, well, why is it that the, the, it seems like the populations of the homeless keep growing and growing and growing? Well, they're not having children. Here's what they're doing. They're recruiting children. They're recruiting people. You say, well, well what, where do you get that from? I get that from the Bible. Every time I open up the Bible and we got a story with a sodomite, they're trying to rape somebody. They're, they're, you know, Lot, they're going to come to Lot to his house. They're going to try to rape the angels that came from God. Because this is what the faggots do. They recruit. And they want your kids. And that's why you are crazy if you are going to send your kids off to some Sunday school or some school or some Christian school or bring somebody into your house that you don't know, that's not related to you, and that you didn't grow up with and just say, oh, you know, open up a newspaper. I mean, open up a newspaper in Sacramento any day of the week, and I promise you, you'll find an article where it talks about some child being molested, some, some, uh, some boy, little boy, being molested by the mother's live-in boyfriend. I'm not lying. Look it up. 95% of the time, mom's living boyfriend. No doubt. Because the dad's some dirtbag that can't stay home, and he leaves the mom, and then the mom feels like she needs to go get a boyfriend, so she brings some guy in, and he's a pervert, and he's a reprobate, and he molests the daughter, and he molests the son, and then one day, you never know, one day you grow up, your son's a queer, and you, what happened? What well, tell you what happened? You brought them to a recruiter. That's what they do. That's why I don't let my kids out of my sight. They're with their father. They're with their mother. They're with their grandmother. You say, why do you trust your grandma? Because she raised me. I was okay. You know, but we don't, we don't just send them out. We don't just send them out to a Christian daycare. Oh, well, they're Christians. Look, Judas supposedly was a Christian. But God, see, and I'm just trying to tell you something. I, and the reason I'm going on this rampage is because I want you to understand. The wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was greatly wicked. It wasn't a light thing. God destroyed them because you can't deal with these people. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. 
All the verses you read were all in the Old Testament. The, the God of the New Testament, he loves, he loves the queers. He loves people. He's not like that. Okay, go there to Romans chapter number 1. Let me just, uh, I'll give you this example and I'll be done. We'll move on to something else. Romans chapter number 1. Look at verse 21. Romans chapter number 1 and verse 21. I, and I want to teach you something about the homosexual. Romans chapter number 1 and verse 21. Look at, look at what it says. Romans 1 21. The Bible says this. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. And to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And look at what it says in verse 26. For this cause. What cause? The cause, the fact that they rejected God. Romans chapter number 1, verse 26. The fact that they worshipped the creature more than the Creator. The fact that they refused the truth of God. Bob says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. God says, for this cause, because they rejected me, God says, I'm going to reject them. And He gave them up to vile affections. For even, and I want you to catch these words, it says, for even their women did change the, here's the key word, natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. See, you got to understand this. Sodomy is not just some sin. Okay, it's not like lying. It's not like stealing. You know, people think, oh, well, all sin is the same. Okay, look. We, every one of us has a sin nature, and we have a temptation to sin. You know, every single one of us is going to be tempted by something. And there's natural temptations. You know, if, if, you, if, if you're walking down the street and you just, you know, saw a million dollars, you know, somebody dropped a suitcase or something and there's a million dollars in it. Every single one of us, is, it's going to at least cross your mind. Take that money and run. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, and I'm not saying you're going to do it. Obviously, I, I would hope you wouldn't do it if people have character. I'm saying, but it's going to at least cross your mind. Because there's just certain temptations. You know, there's certain things that, uh, uh, that, that we battle with. And it's just... Uh, uh, but here's the thing. A man being attracted to another man is not natural. Okay, that's not something that just happens. That only happens after God has seared your conscience. The Bible says, for this cause, He gave them up unto vile effects. The Bible says, once God gave up on them, then they were able to go to that which is against nature. See, all our sin is with nature. We have a natural man. But the homosexual and any other of these sins that are just unnatural, like bestiality and, and, and pedophilia and all this kind of stuff, it's against nature. And what I'm telling you about these people is they cannot get saved. They cannot be reformed. The reason they can do those things is because God has already rejected them. He says in verse 27, And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burn in their lusts one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their reward which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That word reprobate means rejected. The Bible says in Jeremiah, it says reprobate silver shall men call them because God hath rejected them. They've already been rejected. Well, well, that's not fair. Why did God reject them? 
Well, it is fair. God rejected them because time after time after time, they rejected God. They heard the gospel and said, I don't believe it. They heard about God and they said, I believe in evolution. They heard about, you know, they went to, to school and they, and they learned to worship the creature more than the creator. And they reject God. And they reject God. And they reject God. And let me tell you something. There comes a time when you reject, when you reject, when you reject, and you don't get another chance. God says, you rejected me enough times and now I'm going to reject you. The Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord shall not always strive with man. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Says, to do those things which are not normal, which are not convenient for you to do. They're unnatural. Look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgments of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Is that New Testament enough for you? Is the book of Romans New Testament enough? Oh, well, that's the Old Testament. That's Leviticus. Well, I'm pretty sure Paul's in the New Testament. And Paul says in Romans, that they're worthy of death. And by the way, he says, not only do the same, but have the pleasure in them that do them. He says, you know who else is worthy of death? Those people who have the pleasure in them. Don't you say, well, I just like to watch that TV show with that real funny uh, queer guy. Well, God says, you take pleasure in that? He says, you're worthy of death. God doesn't mess around when it comes to this thing of sodomy. God said it's a wicked sin. God said, I, I will pour out fire from heaven and destroy two cities because of that sin. It's wicked as hell, is what the Bible says. I'm trying to show you, that wicked sin brought the judgment of God. But that wicked sin did not allow the judgment of God. Go with me to 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. We're almost done. I, I, don't, I don't think I have too much more. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. The nation... The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The judgment of God was brought because of that wicked sin of homosexuality. But the judgment of God was allowed because there was not enough salt to preserve the land. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse 14. Look at what it says. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Real famous verse. The Bible says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I heal from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. See, many times as Christians, we like to stand up, and hey, I like to do it just as much as anybody else. We like to stand up, and we get on those faggots, and we should. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that, and I don't, I don't take a, you know, I, I, people act like we should, as Christians, we'd be ashamed of what we believe. And, and you know, uh, I'm tired of taking the back seat to, you know, they, they have no shame proclaiming their gay pride garbage down the streets of America, and with their signs and their parades, and, and putting it on top, and they have no shame, they have no problem proclaiming what they believe. But then an independent final Baptist stands up with the Word of God and says, hey, that's wrong, and that's wicked, and that's it. And I'm supposed, you know, people say, oh, you're a bigot. Oh, you're, you, you don't understand. You need to get with the time. You're, you're, you're a horrible person. No, they're bad. Because the judgment of God will be brought on this wicked nation if we allow that sin to continue. That sin will bring the judgment of God, but it won't allow the judgment of God. Because we love to blame it on the queers, and, and we should. That's fine. And we like to blame it on the drunkards. We like to blame it on the drug addict. We like to blame it on the adulterers. We like to blame it on the fornicators. We like to blame everybody's sin for the judgment of God. But you know what God says allows the judgment of God? In 2 Chronicles 7.14, He says, If the homosexual... Is that what it says? No. It says, If the robber, if the gangbanger, if the murder... No, no, no. He says, If my people, which are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their life. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how can we save America? Should we go out and reform all these homosexuals? No, we just got to get the people of God right with God. We just got to get enough people of God. If there was at least ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, we wouldn't even be reading the story. Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared. But here was the problem. The covenants of souls have been breached because they couldn't even find ten. And I'm just wondering, how much longer do we have in America? How much, how much time do we have? Jesus said, am I even going to find faith on the earth when I come back? And I just, I don't imagine the number of salt of Christians in the United States of America is increasing. Because the lack of soul winning I see in churches all across America is rapidly decreasing. And as we get more, less people saved, that's less salt that's considered in the covenant of America. God's judgment was allowed because the salt of Sodom had lost wasn't enough. But not only that, if you remember, there was salt in Sodom. The Bible says that law, that Lot vexed his righteous soul. The Bible says that Lot was righteous. And that his wife, you know, and his family, there were some saved people. But here's the thing, in Matthew 5.13, and you can go back there if you'd like. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 13. The Bible says this, Ye are the salt of the earth. But then he says this, But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth, thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. See, the problem with Sodom is that they didn't have enough salt, but the salt they did have had lost its savor. That's why the Bible says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. You say, how do I get my savor back? You humble yourself. You pray. You seek God's face. You turn from your wicked ways. And then the Bible says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their name. See, the judgment of God is brought by their wickedness, but it's allowed by our life. It's allowed by the salt. It's allowed by whether how much salt there is and whether that salt has lost its savor. Go back to Genesis chapter number 19. Look at, look at verse 1. Genesis 19.1. Let me ask you this question. Here's the whole sermon. What, what are you doing to save America? What part are you playing to save America? See, many Christians think, well, we, we, need, we, what we need is political reform in America. We, well, here's what I think we need. We need a born-again Christian to take the presidency, and that will solve all our problems. Look at Genesis chapter number 19. Look at verse 1. The Bible says that Lot was a righteous man who lived in Sodom. And in Genesis 19, 1, the Bible says this, And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now, here's what you've got to understand. In those days when they had gates around the cities and a man sat at the gate, that's where all, that was like their version of like city hall. That's where all the matters of the city were taken care of. You know what that tells me? When Lot sat in the gate of, the, of Sodom, here's what that tells me. It tells me Lot had some sort of authority position in Sodom. Maybe he was a mayor. Maybe, I don't, I don't know what he was. He had, some, he had some sort of a political position in Sodom because he sat at the gate of Sodom. So well, I think we need I think we need a Christian in America to take office. If we could get some Christian senator, if we could get some Christian president, that will solve all our problems. Look, that's going to solve no problems. Because that's not the problem. Hey, Lot was an authority in Sodom, and God was still going to destroy him. 
Look at Genesis 18.16. Let me show you what is going to save America. You say, what can we do to save America? What can we do to preserve this nation? What can we do so my kids can live in a free society like I got to live in? What can we do so my grandchildren may not go into slavery and may not go into destruction and that my grandkids one day will be able to stand up behind a pulpit and read the King James Bible and pray and sing songs and unite and love God? What can we do to, to preserve that? Let me show you. Genesis 18.16 says this, And the men arose from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed of him. And look at verse 19. It's a very interesting thing that God says about Abraham. He says, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of. Isn't that amazing that God would look at a man, Abraham, and say, you know what, I know Abraham, I know he's going to raise his kids for God, I know he's going to command his family, he said, I know that he's going to raise salt. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, look at verse 7. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. What can we do to save America? Well, we've got to, first of all, get our own families saved and right with God. You know, if, do, you, do you know that if Lot would have just got his daughters and his daughters' husbands saved, he would have had the tent that he needed? If Lot would have, I'm not talking about Lot starting a church. I'm not talking about Lot going out door to door, knocking doors in Sodom, getting people saved. I'm not talking about Lot having a huge rob. I'm talking about Lot going to his family, the people who grew up in his house, the people that he spent the majority of his time with, the people that he saw from little children, and, and he saw them raise up, and he had time and countless hours upon hours with these girls. If he would have just got them saved, the whole nation would have been spared. But Lot failed because he was no Abraham. See, God said about Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And you know what my overwhelming fear has become in the last few weeks? I've really become very aware of this. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. And I'm afraid that in the United States of America, by and large, Christians all across this nation are not raising, and here's the key word, training their children. I mean, what kind of training are we giving our kids? I'm not talking about sending them to school. I'm talking about biblical Bible training. Look at Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse 7. Look at what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 6, 7. God said, and thou shalt teach them. Well, look, look at verse 6. Look at verse 5. They're good verses. Verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them. Now what is that them? The words that he commanded them. The Bible. He says, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house. And on thy gate. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land. Which he sware unto thy fathers. To Abraham. To Isaac. And to Jacob. To give thee great and goodly cities. Which thou buildest not. I mean, do you see what he's saying? He's saying when you're going on the way. He says when 
when you go to bed, when you're sitting down, He said, I want you to be training. I want you to be teaching. I want you to be instructing your children in the Word of the Lord. Let me just ask you something. Is the average parent today training their kids? I mean, I'm worried about this with my kids. I mean, we think we're good parents because we feed them, because we clothe them, because we bring them to church. But are we spending time with them? I'm not talking about spending time watching television. I'm not talking about spending time with the video games or playing games or, or taking them somewhere. Or doing, I'm talking about training them. Are you making use of the time that God has given you? I have 20 years with those kids. 20 years to instruct them. saved last night, came to church this morning. And you know what? Praise the Lord for that guy. And he's and if he comes keep him to church, I'm gonna try to train him and teach him all. You know what? But I have no greater opportunity than my kids because I've got them twenty four hours a day. Seven days a week. But here's the problem with time. Once it's gone, it never comes back. Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming has an idea of purchasing something. He says, when you redeem something, you're buying something. You know, in order for you to buy something, you've got to see value in it. You're not just going to buy junk. And God says, I want you to see the value in the time you've got with your kid. He says, I want you to see the value, you, the time you've got with your children. He says, because here's the problem. Lot, once your time is ran out, it's gone. You can spend it, but you can never get it back. And once it's gone, you're never going to get it again. And are we, what are we doing? I mean, I would pray to God that God would look down at from heaven and look at me and my wife and say, yeah, I know them. I know they're going to raise their kids right. But could God say that about us? You say, well, I don't have any kids. That doesn't apply to me. Well, here's the thing. The Bible says that we have physical kids and we have spiritual kids. You say, well, how do you have a spiritual kid? Do you know for sure if you die today, you go to heaven? You get somebody born again, the Bible says they became your spiritual child. What are we doing to save America? Because here's, here's the problem. Why did Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed? Because of the wickedness. Yes, yes, true. But why did God allow the destruction to come? Because He couldn't find enough Christians. You know what? Soul winning in this country is going to do more to save America than any politician than Barack Obama could ever preach, you could ever think of doing. He said, well, we need political reform. We need to go rally these people. And we need to cut back the taxes. And look, I'm all for it. Let's rally them and let's cut back taxes. Let's do all of that. But, you know, more importantly than that, let's go get somebody saved. Because the more salt we have, the more uh, the salt we have on the earth, the more covenant of salt we have. Hey, we might be able to save back the hand of God. And maybe, just maybe, your kids and my kids could live in a free nation. But the problem is, you don't care about that. Like Hezekiah said, well, at least the freedom will be in my time and what happens to my kids, who cares? And I'm afraid that the destruction of America might come like it came to Simon and Gomorrah. 
say, I, I don't think that ever happened. Look, God would do it to Israel. You don't think He'd do it to us? Say, I don't, I don't know what God would do it to Israel. Go to Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse 9. We'll be done. Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse 9. Look at what it says. Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse 9. I'm closing my Bible. This is the last reference. See, what you don't know is I got my verses on a piece of paper. <laughs> Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse 9. The Bible says this. Except the Lord of hosts had left us, had left unto us a very small remnant. Look at what Isaiah said. I mean, this is interesting. He said, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Did you see that? God said, if it wasn't for the fact that we had a very small remnant, a very small remnant of what? Salt. A very small remnant of believers. He said, God was going to destroy us just like He destroyed Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. And if you don't think God has any issue with destroying the nation of Israel, let me tell you something. He's got no problem destroying America. Well, that'll never happen to America. We're a Christian nation. Look around. Because the salt is ever decreasing. And every Saturday that goes by and you refuse to give somebody the gospel, every week that goes by and you refuse to go get somebody saved, every... every year that goes by and you refuse to be a soul winner and bring salt to this earth is a little bit closer we get to the destruction of America. Do I think that America is going to survive? Look, I studied the book of Revelation and it doesn't make it to the end. I don't see America at the end of the whole thing. Destruction is imminent. But could we at least hold back the hand of God so that maybe my kids could have some freedom? So maybe your kids, maybe your grandkids could have some freedom? So well, how do we do it? Matthew 5.13 says this. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing. There's two parts to the salt. Number one, we need salt. But it needs to be salt that has not lost his savor. Because then God says, if it's, if it's lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. So you, you, we, there's, two, there's two parts to it. We need Christians, first of all. We need to go get salt. But then we need Christians that aren't worthless. Christians that aren't good for nothing. Christians that actually have some salt to them. That are actually going to be able to preserve this country. That are actually going to do something with it. You say, well, how, how do we get savory Christians? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And we'll heal their land. You say, how do we get our sins forgiven? It's in Second Chronicles 7.14. Memorize it. That's why I hit the number of words. Father.